You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Two weeks of that recording, Brendan, did you miss me? Mm. I don't feel comfortable answering that, to be honest. I feel like it'll be used against me if I say yes. What if you say no? <laughs> well, then, I don't know. Uh, welcome back to Arsenal Pass, episode 97. We are back from a, a two-week hiatus, although we didn't have a break in episodes. We did run a mailbag episode last week, which we had a lot of fantastic questions for, so massive shout-out and thanks to the Arsenal Pass community over on our Discord and on Twitter for all the awesome questions. I think we answered, like, just shy of 50 questions, Brendan. So if you haven't checked that episode out, make sure to go and do so. A lot of juicy questions in there, great questions about format, about the game overall, about outsiders, about, you know, non-current flesh and blood things as well. Uh, make sure before you listen, how many times do you think Brendan mentions Wizard and how much do I mention <laughs> for before you, <laughs> before you jump in? Spoiler, it's a lot lower than you might think. Um, Brendan, this episode we are talking about the last two weeks of events we've had calling we've had uh two battle hardened events one of them blitz which we we aren't touching on but we do have uh Tarek patel joining us for the main topic of the pod and diving into his run to top eight playing briar plus just the metagame overall and where we expect things to sort of lead into as we close out this dynasty meta before outsiders just a month away at this point uh, and we do have calling auckland which is kind of the the final big event plus a couple of battle hardens to to round us out as well brennan your week in flesh and blood i know you obviously didn't go to indianapolis the last two weeks but uh, have you been playing some flesh and blood have you managed to to get to any events or or i guess nothing really to test for at the moment just kind of outsiders wait period yeah so i actually made it out to a few local events recently um mostly to play against brody because brody's actually local to me so it's like if I ever want to practice in person, I just had the itch to play cards, like physical cards for some reason. Um, so I went to a couple events. I played some Blitz. Uh, I played quite a bit of Icelander and Class Constructed. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had a good time. I think that uh, you're right. Like there isn't too much to be testing for. There's no big crunch quite yet, although it's coming here in the, in the near future for Pro Tour Baltimore. Um, so yeah, I, I've, been a, I've been able to get out to some events and I was enjoying my time. Nice. What what did you play? Just Icelander? Or did you try any other other decks out? So Icelander, and then I played Peter's uh, Candlelist and Blitz, and <laughs> I told Peter. I mean, you know, like Hayden, you know, when you post uh, a YouTube video of one of your lists, and then you get, you know, that person who DMs you is like, "Hey, this card should be in the list." So I, I did that with Peter's list. I, I played Peter's list, and then angrily was like DMing him, like in the middle of like my my round. I was like, "Hey, you should be playing Potion of Deja Vu. What the heck?" <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I played some Kano and Blitz and Isolator and Classic. Nice. Yeah, we've we've all had those. Uh, we can, yeah, I mean, I just got back from a, a holiday, so I haven't played as much Flesh and Blood. Uh, but basically, very minimal since the, the Banner Suspended announcement that came a couple of, or the week before Indianapolis. So I'm excited to to dive back in, post my little, my, my wee break. I went home for a, a week and a half. Of course, calling Auckland next weekend. I will be there, so... That gives me about, what, I guess eight or nine days to to work out what I'm going to play, test the format a bit. Obviously, we have a lot of information and things to go off post Indianapolis and Battleheart and Bologna, which is really exciting. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to I'm going to be playing a lot of Flesh and Blood over the next seven days, I think, which is uh, I'm looking forward to because I think this format looks you know reasonably diverse, which, you know, spoiler, we'll, we'll talk about with, with Tarek. 
Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I, I'm really interested to see if Outsiders has an impact on the the current class constructed meta. Because um, I think you and I, since we didn't talk about this in the pod, we can talk about it uh, right now, actually. We talked about sort of the the powering down of sets post Tales of Aria, which is probably a good thing for the game overall, but does leave this leave us in this weird spot where we have these old heroes from those sets sort of lingering around, like the old hymns, um, the Briars, of course, which hasn't living legend yet. And I know Islanders kind of made it up there. But uh, yeah, I mean, this being a ranger-heavy set, uh, also with a bit of ninja, I do, I do hope that we are able to uh, have a set that impacts classic uh, in a big way. And I think if it doesn't, that we might see um, a little bit of help from Big Brother in terms of additional bans. Well, I, I really hope it does have a, a reasonable impact. I wouldn't want it to have, you know, just be like outsiders meta where the top three heroes are, you know, Azuri, New Arachne, and Azalea, for instance. But I would like it to have an impact. I'd like to see Assassin have an impact on this next format. I would like to see, you know, Katsu get the bump it needs with this to to be in that sort of tier two minimum sort of thing. So, yeah, I mean, definitely optimistic and we'll see. But like you say, it has been this kind of bell-shaped curve of power and we're coming down the other side of it at the moment. Is that long-term? Not sure, but it does seem to me that Outsiders is going to be less powerful overall than sets like particularly Monarch and Tales of Aria, where we had really high power levels. And, um, you know, we've felt the effects of those sets right through to now and to the point that, and we kind of allude to this a little bit when we talk with Tarek, but, you know, Dynasty hasn't had maybe the impact we'd expect because the the power still of the heroes that didn't get the bump in the form of, you know, Icelander, Fi, Ultim, Briar, etc. But, yeah, anyway, why don't we jump straight into some news, Brendan, and talk a little bit about Outsiders because we have had uh, preview cards drop for Outsiders uh, while we've been away over the last two weeks and we you know we haven't caught up so we are two weeks behind have you seen these cards first of all we were shown the coal foil tokens which were revealed at indianapolis uh, i believe they're on the prize wall those were the blood rot pox the inertia token and the frailty token um just for those you know if you haven't heard what, what those do i'll just quickly give a a bit of an overview and then Brendan, let's talk a little bit about these. So Blood Rot Pox is a, uh, a token. It says at the beginning of your end phase, destroy Blood Rot Pox. Then it deals two damage to you unless you pay three resources. It's an aura. Uh, these are all auras. Frailty is your attack action cards played from Arsenal and weapon attacks have minus one attack. And at the beginning of your end phase, again, destroy Frailty. Inertia is at the beginning of your end phase, destroy Inertia. Then all cards from your hand and Arsenal uh, go to the bottom of your deck. So these three tokens, and then we've seen three cards already, which are all assassin attack actions that produce these tokens in the form of Infect, Sedate, and Wither. Uh, I'm not going to read these all out, but effectively they're zero cost at red, common, so there's a cycle of them presumably. Zero for threes uh, that have the keyword stealth, which we've we've now, don't know what it does, but we know that it's a very unique effect and that it doesn't trigger if you saw. Did you see the, the post that Josh Scott put out? <laughs> I saw the TLDR of the post, which is we still don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally. So these cards have stealth, and when they hit, they create each of these tokens. So in fact, creates a blood pox, a date, an inertia token, and with a, a frailty token. Um, so these are post seeing Razor's Edge. These are these are the new cards that we've we've seen, and we also saw some uh, attack reactions: spike with blood rot, spike with frailty, spike with inertia. That uh, they give attacks plus three, and uh, whenever they hit, they do the effect, which is give the token. So, Brendan, any kind of like first thoughts on seeing these cards and, and these tokens? Well, I saw inertia, and I was like, oh. <laughs> Just the Kano inside me was like, come on, man. <laughs> Honestly, I haven't, I haven't, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a very early to start you know, doing a lot of speculating, but I haven't do- dove too deep into them, to be honest. Um, but the way it's worked with flesh and blood spoilers and, 
it's just like they tend to spoil everything all at once nowadays. You know, it's a very short period. We do get a trickle before then, but I kind of just like I kind of put it off a bit before I before I start getting getting the old uh, the old cooker going in terms of in terms of speculation because we do get so much in such a small amount of time. And every time I early speculate on flesh and blood cards, I am dead wrong. It looks silly. Yeah, yeah. No, likewise, we we tend to look quite silly. Alice do have a habit of making us look silly, Brendan. But my kind of first take on these is is. Just quite cool. Like I had some, I've definitely had some reservations about the set from a constructed standpoint. Limited, I'm really excited about the, the six hero dynamic. And I actually think what we've seen so far, I, I'm really excited for these kind of on-hit effects and these these sorts of attacks that we're going to see for Limited. Um, but yeah, I mean, these these tokens seem powerful. Like their effects, I mean, you talked about inertia, you know, this kind of effect. It's similar to, there was a, a Ranger card that did this effect, uh, you know, where you, you can't, uh, what's the card I'm thinking of? Um, Seek and Destroy. Seek and Destroy. Seek and yeah. Destroy, very similar. Uh, where basically you're not going to be able to arsenal and you can't hold a card in arsenal. It's effectively what inertia says. Frailty, very interesting for go wide decks. You know, these uh, your attack actions played from arsenal and weapon. So if you're trying to attack the weapon and attack action from arsenal, minus two for the turn effectively. And then this this thing of just blood, blood rot pox was just another way to present damage and another kind of, it reminds me a little bit of what we've seen with looming doom, you know, this end of turn effect that kind of ticks away if you if you don't have a way to stop it, which is in this case, three resources. And then of course, Brent, we've seen a few other cards as well. So We've seen uh, Death Touch, which is the first Assassin Ranger uh, hybrid attack action that we've seen so far. So either Assassins or Rangers can play this card. At red, it is a one for uh, attacks for six and defense for two. Death Touch can't be played from hand. And it says when this hits a hero, create a frailty, inertia, or blood pox token under their control uh, that you choose. So quite a cool card to see. We've also seen the the first Quiver for Ranger, this Majestic mm-hmm. Quiver equipment, which is um, a Quiver can be equipped in a weapon zone uh in addition to a hero so you can have the bow plus the quiver and effectively you start with this as you would with any piece of equipment and it's an instant three resources reveal the top card of your deck if it's an arrow put it face up into your arsenal and destroy quiver uh, of rustling leaves so you get this kind of one-off extra pop it an extra arrow into your arsenal which is quite cool and we've also seen bonds of ancestry which is a ninja attack action which very long go and check it out <laughs> i'm not going to read through it but it's effectively it combos with cards that have gust wave in the title and looks quite powerful. So with Bonds of Ancestry, you know, plus these cards we've seen so far, quite quite excited about Outsiders, I think, Brennan. You know, we've seen, they've given a strategic little bit of a taster of things to come, I think, with what we've seen, what we're going to see with Assassin and what Assassin looks like in the set, which is these uh, these negative effects, these tokens, what we're going to see with Ninja, you know, extensions of, of combo lines that we've seen in the past, a, f- a first look at a quiver for a Ranger. It looks all... You know, quite cool, I would say. So I'm excited to, you know, my my anticipation for Outsiders is definitely building. I've been waiting for a quiver since, like, literally Arcane Rising. So <laughs> I'm happy that we finally get it. Uh, I thought it was never going to come. Yeah, I, now you have it, what, two and a half, two years later, you've got your quiver. Yep, and Ranger will still suck. No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Relax, everybody. What Do you have a particular, like, my favorite card I think we've seen so far is probably Death Touch. Just, you know, this this ability now for... Rangers to play attack actions that are ranger cards. So they do have the same constraints as, as your arrows effectively and the fact that they can only play from Arsenal. But I think there's you know there's some cool things you can do with reload into an attack action which you couldn't previously do. And quite pa- like one for six, like you know, that has mm-hmm. a non-hit effect is really powerful. Yep. One for six is very good. <laughs> very, very good. That's like a War Tune Herald, right? Um I'm less excited for an individual card this world so far, and more excited, uh, speaking of Illusionist, actually, for the Assassin class to be fleshed out. So I feel like Assassin is a similar place that Prism was pre, uh, pre-Everfest, 
And I think that this will actually kind of bring us to the full fruition of the cast and, I don't know, make it more fun to play, maybe make it more viable, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's honestly what I'm most excited for here. Mm-hmm. Cool. Move on from Outsiders. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about Outsiders as we get closer to the March, March 20th release. Of course, we do have the spoiler season. I want to say it's the fourth to the sixth of march it's a very shorter season that alice has posted about we do have a a preview card that we will be releasing i don't know if we've got our confirmed date but as obviously it's within that window have not seen it at this point yet brendan but uh you know alice has blessed us the last few seasons with some pretty spicy cards uh scour notwithstanding but you know we've, we've had scour was a cool card i i, I think cool. scour is cool scour was a cool card um the one they get which one was the one they gave us oh so no they gave us pulse of harpoon last time and then they crown. gave us what oh yeah crown of providence what was before that there was one they gave us and it, it was, was like with one yeah was that the one that was like without we didn't know what a frostbite was or like anything like that and we're like what the, how do we even we talk about this yeah we knew yeah, nothing, we knew nothing. we're like that. there's no context to this so like i guess it's a four for eight <laughs> uh yes but i mean we needed no context for crown of providence because that card was the best card in the set uh, <laughs> but skull cap <laughs> those people <laughs> i want to give a, a big shout out of course a lot of events happened over the past two weeks as we said uh michael hamilton wanting yet another calling who's surprised uh, we also saw you know you were talking about uh, peter uh Beninsky winning the battle mm-hmm. hardens mm-hmm. i think on kano and uh i actually i was looking for the battle hardened bologna winner's name do, do you know th- there was very little coverage on battle hardened bologna so i'm not sure if you picked up uh the name of the winner so i'm very sorry but winning on bravo much to brendan's disdain uh congratulations <laughs> on the big win how dare they uh but yeah of course next weekend is the calling auckland i'll be there if you're going to be there come and come and say hello i'm really looking forward to getting back to new zealand and uh playing in this event and uh, hopefully the cyclone is kind of dispersed by then so yeah yeah what is a cyclone is that like a is it a hurricane uh good question i think it's more like a, as opposed to like hurricanes and tornadoes that have a big spinny thing it's more like mm. a, a big weather front that passes through with a lot of strong okay. winds and low pressure systems i think i always i always I'm thought not a, a cyclone <laughs> Boy, what i feel like you would know what a cyclone is no i i when i think of cyclone i think of cycle and it makes me think of circle and i'm like okay it's also a circle is it just a hurricane but if you're in a different part of the world they call it a cyclone you know what let us on the let us know in the youtube comments below what is a freaking cyclone versus like a hurricane uh, you might be right because i think cyclones are tropical right so you might you might be right here you go in meteorology a cyclone is a large air mass that rotates around a strong center of low atmospheric pressure Clockwise in the northern hemisphere and clockwise and uh, sorry, yeah, northern hemisphere, counterclockwise in the north, clockwise in the southern hemisphere. There you go, Brennan. So you know, bro, that's a hurricane. You just you just got your own word for it. It's just like you calling flip flops thongs. It's just just being. It's probably some differentiation, but yeah, let us know. Let us know. <laughs> Should we talk about flesh and blood? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, not really much else to talk about. We uh, we can just move on to the Command Cookout, I think, if you're ready. Mm-hmm. Let's do we'll, it. We've, we've got a question this week from, uh, make sure I get this name correct, from our, our community Discord from Vilsic. And the question is, what would an ideal but still realistic metagame like in terms of hero representation and win percentages from your point of view? And the reason I wanted to pick this question out, Brennan, is literally because we are mm-hmm. talking this current format with Tarek and the main topic of the pod. And we do touch a bit on, you know, kind of 
representation and the kind of difference Indianapolis to Bologna, but also seeing quite a widespread hero sort of pull. So I want to ask you, what would an ideal meta game look like to you? What does a healthy meta game look like in your eyes? Does it is it about hero representation? Is it about, you know, getting eight heroes, different heroes into the top eight? Is it, you know, what does it look like? Yeah, so uh, I'm a I'm a big believer in that uh, sort of the the pie is not does not it's not necessarily correlated to a healthy metagame. Um and we've seen that before. We we've seen that quite a lot. That like sometimes there can be a lot of heroes showing up, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a healthy metagame. A healthy metagame for me is I want to feel like I can be competitive on more than sort of one deck in each individual archetype. That's ideal. But I also want to feel like all of the different archetypes are sort of represented in said meta at a competitive level. So when a when a meta like if we look at Pro Tour number two, that's I would define that as an unhealthy meta. There was it was a heavy heavily aggressive meta and it felt like you could really only be playing one aggro deck. But at the same time, it still felt like aggro was just a cut above everything else. It felt like the Briar deck was above, was ahead of Old Him. It was ahead of Prism. Uh, maybe it had a bad matchup in the Isolator, but Icelander couldn't even show up, right? Because Prism was so bad for it. So I think that that was a particularly narrow and unhealthy meta, not because Briar was so popular, but because it felt like you had to play Briar or you were literally just playing below 50% in, some, in most of your, in most of your matchups that yeah. you would face because so much prior was there yeah I, I agree with a lot of that like the big part for me is the percentage of hero spread you see i i agree it does not lead to so lead to healthy metagame i think trying to say oh what does a healthy metagame look like in terms of you know percentage win percentages or uh the metagame sort of spread i really agree i don't think it leads to a healthy metagame it's more about what are the strategies that people are enacting because you can have and we've had this before right it's like oh look there's lots of fire there's lots of briar and there's lots of Ash, and it's like, yeah, it's just three flavors of the same aggro deck that's just trying to like yeah. ignore what their opponent's doing and just attack face, right? Like we've had formats like that, and I don't think that's particularly healthy meta game, right? But it looks if you look at it, you go, wow, you know, we've got five heroes in the top eight here, and we had you know seven heroes in the top sixteen, and we had no hero have over twenty percent representation or something. It's like that looks healthy on the surface, but I don't think that the feel of the meta game, the feel of the the, the play and the gameplay itself is actually necessarily going to be healthy because of that. So. I'm more interested when it comes to what does a healthy meta game look like. I'm more interested in, like Brennan was saying there, what are the strategies that are viable? Is it viable to show up with a deck that can disrupt? Is it viable to show up with a deck that can be aggressive? Is it viable to show up with a mid-range deck? Is it viable to show up with a, a more traditional control style deck? And are you then, like I, a meta game where you get to meta game is, that's a healthy meta game to me. A meta game where you can show up and go, okay, these strategies are viable. I'm going to pick a deck that tries to, to attack an angle of the meta i think that's a much more healthy meta game and you know without risk of getting uh some backlash brendan tales of aria sort of if a fist meta were more of those kind of metas to me so <laughs> what do you mean everybody complained about that meta how is that possible i agree with you i felt like that meta like when the meta was really immature back when you know, the person we're talking to on this pod very soon, Tark Patel won US Nationals. Um, yeah, I mean, the meta looked narrow for like a tournament or two, but it was actually very ripe to disruption. And we saw that happen over the course of that meta, especially, you know, Hayden won uh, Australian Nationals on Viserai specifically. Um, so yeah, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I mean, my my sort of, my go-to example for a, a bad, class constructed meta is going to be pro tour number two um and i think that that's like the 
sort of the best example we have so far. We just felt like aggro was just a cut above the rest. And it was, I mean, you couldn't even play like the other aggro decks. It felt like like you could show up on them, but Briar was just better than it felt like everything at that time. It was mostly because of Prism, which was what we found out, because Prism kept all the, the true Briar crowners out of the meta. Yeah, yeah, yep. The ultimate decks that were really ticked for it couldn't, you know, they couldn't show up with, you had to be able to, you know, you had Icelander, like you're saying, just get completely shut out of the meta by by Prism. So, yeah, look, I, I think it's a it's a great question, though, because I think the question is about representation and percentages, and I think kind of our answer to that is that those aren't the metrics for a healthy metagame, which is really important. You know, we've seen... Battlehard and Bologna last weekend, the most played deck was 13% of the meta. I think that's good. Like, it's really exciting that we see that. We see a real diversity of heroes, and the top eight was really diverse as well. Um, and actually, I think that was, uh, you know, that is a sign of a, not that's a sign, but I think what actually happened in that meta was pretty healthy. There was a lot of different strategies being acted in there. You could see that in the top eight. There was Alexi, there was a Disruptive Element, there was these Icelander decks playing more mid-range, there was these Ultim, there was an Ultim Fatigue, there was, you know... There was actual representation of these different uh, these different type of archetypes and ways to play the game, which I, I think is more a healthy representation than just the fact that there was a good even spread of heroes. Yeah, I would like to end by saying that the you know the more diverse the the pie is, like I think in general the better the meta is. Like if there is a higher number of heroes of you know differing heroes in a top eight or showing up to tournaments like that that is generally a good indicator of a better meta but it's just not necessarily all the time i think some people will just look at a look at a hero pie and just be like okay that's diverse it's a good meta and that's not the case um i think that you have to drill down to like what strategies are actually viable and like is there any variety to the gameplay yeah 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 it's not it's definitely not a, a causation there it's not yeah i agree Cool. Well, thank you for the question. If you want to get your questions into the Commander Cookout, you can email us at arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. It's been two weeks and I've forgotten what our email address is, Brendan. You can drop a comment in the YouTube comments below. Let us know it's for the Commander Cookout. The question, you can DM us uh, on Twitter. You can drop them in the Discord. Anyways, Brendan, I think it's time to move on to the main topic and introduce now two-time calling uh, player plus two-time national champion, Dark Patel. Mm-hmm. Main topic of the pod time. Welcome back to Arsenal Pass, Tarek Patel. Tarek, how are you? I'm doing good. What's going on with you, both of you? Well, first of all, I want to say a big congratulations for your top eight in Indianapolis a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we were talking before the pod about how many callings you've top eighted, and two, which I, I would have thought in my head was more, but of course, when there were multiple callings going on, uh, Orlando, you were too busy winning nationals, so and you didn't play Vegas, which is the first North American calling, so... Uh, I would say only two top eights, but I mean, obviously that's a massive achievement. <laughs> Just you've played less than I that I would have thought. So again, congratulations for your uh, top eight with Briar. Thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Trying to get my girl a uh, living legend, but uh didn't end up happening. <laughs> a few people tried, as it looked like over the past couple of weekends, uh, but some, some Guardians and Icelanders have had something to say about it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely surprised about Oldham, though. Was not expecting as much Oldham in the top tables as... Uh, what we ended up seeing. So I guess we'll get into that a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's, Brendan, why don't you let was, us know a little bit about, I guess, what's been happening over the last couple of weeks with these events. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just start from the very, very top, which is the bands. Um, so obviously, Tarek, you know, but in case anybody here lives under a rock, Belittle was banned, Winter's Whale is banned, Amulet of Ice is suspended until Icelander becomes Living Legend, Hypothermia, same thing. Tarek, do you feel like these bands were adequate? Do you feel like they had a effect on the meta? And if you have any other general thoughts, let's just hear them. So I think everybody, when the bands were first announced, thought that they were fundamentally good ways to hit the top three decks. And we had Icelander, Fi, and Oldham as the three best decks uh, leading into you know the current metagame we're in. 
I think Belittle hitting Phi, Winner's Whale, and Hypothermia hitting uh, Oldham. And then Icelander obviously being nerfed with Amulet of Ice and Hypothermia. We all thought those three decks got taken down a peg. And um, I think for the most part, everybody kind of thought Icelander was a little bit underwater. I think I even went so far to tweet it out that, man, they did Icelander dirty. Uh, and I thought she was really underpowered uh, going into you know the week of testing leading up to the calling uh, Indianapolis. And it wasn't until midway through the week that I think everybody kind of simultaneously as they were testing realized, hey, Icelander's good again. And, you know, Michael Hamilton in the MNR podcast uh, put out a thing saying, hey, we're playing Icelander, guys. I put out a tweet saying, you know, hey, everybody should be prepared for Icelander because it's a real deck. Um, but I, I like the band overall. I thought it, it did an adequate job nerfing old him and nerfing Fi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually tweeted out something pretty similar and thought the same thing. And the my my sort of my pitfall was is I was a bit ignorant to how much Phi losing Belittle would affect Phi's ability to sort of um, uh, compete in that matchup. Because I felt like as Icelander, I felt like the Phi matchup was uh, a bit tight once Belittle came into the in you know, into the deck, but, and I thought, you know, just after these bands that Phi might run over the deck, but I didn't appreciate what Phi, uh, Sans Belitta looked like. And yeah, Icelander seems to have won out, but I mean, the, the tail of the tape really was, uh, it was old him, old him, five old hymns in the top eight. I don't think anybody expected that Winter's Whale is obviously a massive hit on the deck. Crown of Seeds is kind of, you know, my, we have people sort of maybe complaining that that should have been the hit. <laughs> it should have been the hit now. But um, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, on Old Hymns specifically, and also Old Hymns, um, I like to call it uh, Old Hymns' stepbrother, Bravo. But what are your thoughts on the two Guardians sort of performing uh, in this meta? We had a lot of Bravo show, show up, didn't perform, and we also had a lot of Old Hymns show up and perform. Um, old Hymns specifically, I want to get I want to get your thoughts. Yeah, so for me personally, Old Hymns was actually a huge surprise. Um, and you know, ever since Prism was banned, I've been on Oldham, you know, up until the calling in Indianapolis. You know, I won my nationals with Oldham. Uh, my my two other teammates won their nationals with Oldham. So we've been very Oldham focused the entire time. I'm very comfortable with the deck. I can play it into every matchup. So if there was ever a reason to play Oldham, I would try and trick myself at least, you know, subconsciously into playing Oldham. So for me to give up Oldham going into the calling really meant that you know me and my teammates because matt uh, actually ended up making the trip down and he as well didn't play oldham uh, we thought there were fundamental problems with the deck and i still do think those problems exist to the day so i was actually probably one of the most surprised people to find out you know what was it four five oldham updating yeah uh the calling um and you know i'm gonna go tangent on a little bit but um there was a, a famous Nobel Prize ec- economist that won in, I think, like 2018, where he talks about the irrational market theory. Unlike because beforehand, you know, markets always kind of went supply, demand, and you were supposed to act rationally. And he went and said, show, no, the markets are made up of people and people are rational, so markets will be irrational. And I think a lot of that is what we saw in the metagame as well. You know, because when we were testing Oldham, one of the big problems we first identified was we can't be Briar anymore. Um, because if Briars came prepared with either Evergreen or Rights of Replenishment packages, you couldn't fatigue them anymore, which was, you were previously able to do that with hypothermia. And you couldn't outrace them, which was already kind of dicey even before with hypothermia. So if you couldn't fatigue them, you couldn't outrace them, what axis were you beating them on? So we gave up on it because we're like, if people come prepared and play optimally, I don't like arguably the most prevalent matchup in the metagame, which it did. I think Briar was the most prevalent deck 
uh, in Indianapolis. What we didn't account for was the rationality of the metagame where people, there were a lot of teams, uh, I don't want to call anybody out specifically, but there were a lot of groups of high-level players that just wrote it off, being like, oh, we don't need a fatigue package, we just, we're just going to beat Oldham's. And as they were, they unfortunately found out, it, it didn't necessarily work out like that. Yeah. Can you, what are your thoughts on the dichotomy between the two old him builds that showed up? We saw uh, a pretty clean split, I guess, between the more proactive decks and then these fatigue oriented decks. Were you favoring either strategy uh, going into the calling? Um, so we've had the fatigue version on the back of our mind for a while now. Uh, Nick Butcher actually calls it ointment oldham because healing bombs and, and ointment. So that was the kind of name for the fatigue deck in, in our group. Um, but it had a couple of fundamental flaws. So what the viewers or listeners should understand about the deck is that healing salve uh, effects or, or uh, healing effects are only good when your opponents play inefficiently, right? So those cards are very bad against, uh, let's say, a deck like Phi that can use every card in its hand every turn because it will functionally just be a block three, but that block three also requires your action point. Or if you were to block with a healing bomb, it would just block for two. So those decks are best when there's inefficient decks in the format, like a lot of Ranger, you know, maybe some Dash, uh, etc. Um, and the other thing is that it's actually not great in the mirror either, um, because the tens, uh, like Glacial Footsteps, Thunderquakes, and all the big red attacks, they actually require you to block with more cards. So if you trade down cards to the late game, you're actually behind in cards in deck, even though your life total might be okay, and then it'll go to Fatigue. Uh, so going into it, I've never been a fan of the Fatigue Oldham strategy because, one, I don't like its mirror match. Two, I don't like its aggro match particularly well. And then three, you know, Icelanders, if they have enough time and they figure out what you're on ahead of time, they can sometimes set up, and you saw Michael Hamilton do that in the finals, and they can play differently. Like, they don't have to register the Ironhide Gauntlets. They can play Metacarpus. So I've never been a fan of the deck. I've always kind of led more towards the mid-range version. Icelander is a really interesting um, interesting one off the back of Indianapolis. I think a lot of people had questions in their mind with Amid of Iceband if I Icelander could still consistently combo some of these more fatigue-oriented Oldham decks, and if it could compete against some of these aggressive decks with Hypothermia leaving the format. So, you know, in lieu of those bands, do you think that both of those things still stand correct, that Icelander can beat Fatigue Oldham, Icelander still can consistently combo, and it's still a powerful deck or a powerful answer to some of these aggro decks? Yeah, so the Fatigue Oldham matchup is still a big question mark for me because uh, with the losing of Amulet of Ice, you know, before they had a very potent threat where they could set up multiple amulets and if the Insidious Shells didn't line up, uh, they could still strip your hand and then kill you in one foul swoop. Uh, now it's a little bit more tricky. You know, Michael Hamilton had the advantage of knowing exactly what his opponent was on in the finals and he was able to customize his deck in a little bit uh, of a way that, that he could really pinpoint and target it. Now, if you're sitting across from, you know, Joe Smith uh, at a calling and he flips over Oldham, you don't necessarily know what kind of Oldham build he's going to be doing. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting going forward to see how Icelanders choose to balance it out between, you know, how hard into the combo do I lead? Uh, do I board out all my defense reacts or do I keep some in? Um, I don't know that question yet. As, in terms of aggro decks, I will definitely say it's gotten a little bit better for the aggro decks. Like I, I think pre-ban, I, uh, you know, Briar was zero percent into Icelander. Like I, I think that matchup was about as unwinnable as it got. And now, you know, my teammates uh, or the group I tested with, I guess, that also played Briar in the calling. I think we were 
uh, undefeated against Icelander right up until I lost my uh, quarterfinals match to Icelander. Um, and then even my match in the quarterfinals, I felt very winnable in a number of spots. I just needed a couple things to go right, and they went wrong. But, you know, that went from like a 0% matchup, <clears throat> excuse me, to maybe like a 40% matchup. Still unfavored, but definitely winnable. Mm-hmm. That leaves one more sort of on our list here in terms of what top date in Indianapolis, and that's going to be you on Briar. What made you pick that deck? Um, do you still feel confident in the decision when you bring it to a, t- a calling next weekend, if there was one? Just what are, what's what's sort of the takeaway on Briar, sort of pre and post tournament? Yeah, so like we kind of talked about, every content creator, everybody that kind of gave their opinion on the metagame when the BNR was first released had Icelander very low on their tier list, uh, and myself included. Um, and information's hard to come by. You know, it's just really difficult to look at a theory and just like accurately predict a metagame. So if you actually look at the metagame breakdown, you know, that I tweeted, I don't know, Tuesday before the calling, and I said, this is what I think the rank of heroes would be. Briar didn't actually have a bad matchup going into the week. It wasn't until, you know, Wednesday night that we figured out, hey, Icelander is probably a real deck, and you know, we might need to consider a little bit more that. I, that Briar started to have maybe one bad matchup in the in the metagame. You know, Lexi uh, is another bad matchup, and actually Azalea is a really rough matchup. But those decks tend to be, I mean, those decks tend to be a little less prevalent in the metagame. And we had a good game plan into it with uh, Talisman of Warfare, so I felt okay into Lexi. Even. Um, so you know, if you ignore Icelander, Briar just felt like the obvious choice to me. You know, oh, you'd have to beat the Mirror, um, which we had pretty good tech to. Oops. <laughs> which we'd have pretty good tech into um, with our six snatches. But uh, besides that, didn't really have a, a bad matchup until Icelander kind of came out on Wednesday, Thursday. But at that point, I figured, you know, everybody else would have been in the same boat I was, where unless you were an Icelander matchup going into this metagame, you probably wouldn't feel comfortable picking it up with only 48 hours of testing uh, to take into the calling. Mm-hmm. So what about post-tournament? Post-tournament, do you still feel like Briar's deck you would potentially play in a calling um, if said one was to come up next weekend? Yeah, so I was thinking about going to Auckland for a long time. I just actually finally shot the idea down in my mind today that I'm probably not going to make the the calling in Auckland. Um, but if there was a calling in Auckland, uh, Briar would be one of the three or four decks that were on my radar. Um you know, if you don't think Icelander is going to be as prevalent, I think Briar is just the clear pick. Um, if you want to play one of the tier one decks, I think there's only Icelander and Briar. If you want to play a deck that attacks the metagame, I think you're better off with either Dash uh, or a deck like like Bravo or Olden, like one of the Guardians. Mm-hmm. T- Tarek, do, do you think in terms of Icelander and just where that sat in the meta, because you were talking before about you know, in the lead up, Icelander was written off for a lot of people, including Brendan. Brendan, if you you recall, uh, <laughs> but with your your claim that by Baltimore, Icelander would uh, would fall off, which you know very well could still happen. But I guess my question, aligned with that, Tarek, is: Do you think people suffered from not respecting Icelander? You know, we saw two Icelander make top eight. Icelander had a, I think, the best conversion from day one to day two in Indianapolis. Uh, also showed up in Bologna as well. Do you think people suffered a little bit from? disrespecting Icelander in terms of, you know, uh, Briars, for instance, cutting cards they'd previously played to try and shore up that matchup, for instance, or uh, the Ultims just kind of dismissing that matchup and not having the cards that they had previously ready for that matchup? Uh, Yes and no. So specifically for the calling Indianapolis, I think it was right to disrespect Icelander because, you know, like I said, even if it was a good deck, and, and it was, it turns out Icelander is still one of the best decks in the format, 
what was it only 26 people day mm-hmm. two or something like it was 13 day two, 26 showed up. Yeah. Yeah. So it was still a very small representation. So I think it was reasonable. And I kind of said this to, to the group of Canadians that came with me and I managed to uh, sign ops into playing Briar that even <laughs> if you play against an Icelander, opponent or like even if icelander is the best deck in in the room or you know whatever it may be you know what percentage of the the field is actually going to be on it you know you we may only play against it once you know i think if you play against it twice you're actually running cold so leading up to the event um you could say yeah people maybe were a little bit underprepared but i don't think you were punished too hard uh by making that assumption i i think it ended up being right looking at the numbers in retrospect yeah, so, so maybe more of a fact of what punish players for, I guess, not being prepared for was, like you say, Briars not necessarily being prepared for the ultimate matchup, not having those Evergreens or the Rights Replenishment Package or maybe Earthful Surge is another card that's pretty important in their matchup typically uh, that, that I know obviously you, you had those you had some of that package. Yeah, and, and so Oldham was on our radar for sure because like we know people like Guardian. So we expected some amount of Guardian. And you know if you're playing Guardian, some percentage of them will fatigue you. So to me, those two slots felt, you know, more or less free. Um the Icelander matchup though, like I said, you know, what can you really do as a Briar player? You bring in Oasis Respite. I think uh Isaac actually ended up adding one last second because we tested the Icelander matchup and he wanted exactly one for the Storm Striders pop off turn. But I don't know how much percentage uh, that really added. And even going into the tournament, you know, Flesh and Blood is such a funny game where you can kind of look at the people in the room and kind of be like, I'm probably going to lose to this at some point. I just hope it's later rather than sooner. And I actually said going in, I'm like, I feel very confident with our, our, our you know, 80 card, our 80 card deck. You know, we had the Snick statues to make a pretty big edge in the mirror for what, what I felt. Uh, I bet you the only way I lose is to an Icelander player at some point. And then it ended up coming true that I lost to uh, Majin Bay in a very close uh, top eight match. Well, let's talk about the six snatches. So you feel like the six snatches, was that the the main card change that you felt like gave your Briar deck equity over the rest of the field? I know you said it specifically for the mirror, but um, is that the biggest deviation that you guys had? Yeah, so our list, I think, was based off of uh, Chris. I'm going to get his last name right. I think it's Ilali. I think it's Ayali. Uh, yeah, yeah, pardon that. Um, so it was largely based off that, and which I guess was previously based off of like the Chris Hawk, uh, the German national champion uh, deck list. So they've always kind of been prototypical with a couple flex slots to go. So I think my list specifically, I had like 12 cyborg cards, which was like six poppers, you know, two of those were evergreen. I then had the, uh, the anti Lexi package and then uh, the three yellow snatches. But uh, yeah, I would say the yellow snatches were the biggest deviation I had in my deck, along with the Talisman of Warfare for the Ranger matchup. And I really do think it gives you not just an edge against the Briar decks, but all the aggro matchups we're talking Phi, Dash, uh, even against Dromai, just having an extra on hit uh, against a dragon to pop a dragon and then get an arsenal. Uh, the card is just extremely above rate, even at three, because even if your opponent has to block with a card, you know, in Flesh and Blood, offensive utility of a card is always going to be higher than defensive. So it's always just going to be an uneven exchange no matter what you do with a a yellow snatch. Mm -hmm. Well, it wouldn't be a uh, a Tarek Patel podcast unless we piss some people off. Let's talk about Bravo. So we had 42 Bravo show up and we had one Bravo make it to day two. So 
why are people coping so hard with this hero? Like, there's two Guardians. I mean, there's there's another Guardian to pick from. Um, some would argue strictly better. And I know, guys, I'm walking myself into uh, the 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 battle-hardened Bologna Bravo win. But let's talk about the uh, the Indianapolis Bravo for a sec. It, that, that deck, a lot of people did show up on it. More people than I expected. Um, I think that Bravo has, you know, actually even recently, as it's creeped up and popular in the meta, sort of consistently performed badly at major events but we did see a lot show up and i think that bravo is a deck that really plays on phi specifically and it looked like phi was um you know phi wasn't the most popular aggro deck so maybe bravo wasn't the right pick what are your thoughts on that on that hero specifically so first of all i have no idea what happened at the calling like the fact that one bravo player day two'd out of the 42 that showed up it's just what are the odds like what what's going on there with those bravo pilots i i don't know it, it blows my mind because I think Bravo and Oldham have a very similar matchup spread almost across the board, right? It, like, unless you're playing the Fatigue Oldham. I'm talking mid-range Oldham here. Mm -hmm. And I think Oldham and Bravo are still favored into, you know, Dash, Phi, Dromai. Really favored into Dromai. Really, really favored into Dromai. You know, uh, Bolton, Kano, Katsu, whatever deck you kind of want to say. I think all those Guardian decks, uh, Bravo and Oldham, have similar matchup spreads uh, across. I think where those two decks really differ are how they play into the Oldham mirror or the Guardian mirror. So I mm -hmm. think um, I think the Crown of Seeds and Tunic specifically do give you a bit of an edge uh, into the Guardian mirror and how they play into Icelander, which I actually think Bravo is way better than, than Oldham into the Icelander matchup. So in my opinion, and still to this day, I think that Bravo is the better of the two heroes because of that. I think they're both equally unfavored into Briar. I think Icelander matchup is far superior for Bravo than it is Oldham because of the dominate potential and ability to kind of end a game. And I think, you know, the mirror match got a lot closer. Like Crown of Seeds and Tunic is a thing, but Winner's Well to me was like the big kind of boogeyman because what it ended up doing was it really threw off the uh utility of seismic surges right you couldn't all of a sudden cleanly crippling crush off of just three cards anymore uh with a seismic or you couldn't like dominate on turns you'd wanted to and oldham was really good at being able to go like cycle crown block with three cards come at you with a winner's well and arsenal another card and to me previously that was a big part to that matchup and it's lost that now so i think that matchup's gotten a lot closer to 50 percent, and then the icelander matchup is still very you know, in my opinion, I'd rather be playing Bravo than I would Oldham. So right now, for me, I know you disagree, Brendan, but I would personally be on Bravo if I was to play a Guardian. All right, hold you to it. If I ever see on Oldham, I'm like, oh my. But let's talk about Jermai. Jermai is this deck that I see. I mean, it showed up in numbers and I, it converted. I mean, it converted badly, but not terribly, right? 15.7% uh, into day two. What do you think about Jermai and its function in the meta? Does it is it is it serving as a as a pseudo as a pseudo prism? Um, what role is it currently is it currently filling? The role it's filling is by providing this type of copium to illusionist players that they can't get <laughs> anywhere else. It's just like the I don't know what it is with illusionist players, and I'm gonna get hate. I really don't care at this point. It's like you tell them they have a bad matchup, they will lose their minds. Like I remember, and I think I have a, I have a money match. So somebody finally took me up on it. Just to digress a little bit, I, I put out an open challenge about two weeks ago because I just kind of made a tweet. Like like I listed out like eight heroes I was testing, and in there was like a small blurb about Drum. I'm like, I like this deck. It does a lot of good things. I don't like its its guardian matchup. Like that's all I said. 
the amount of messages I got in both DMs, Purple Discord, tweets at me being like, you're wrong, you have no idea, like, da-da-da-da, like, this matchup's the buy I'm like, you guys are insane. So I put an open offer. I'm like, any draw my player that wants to play me for $100, I will play you for any amount of money, any time, go ahead. I didn't get peeps, crickets. You know, mm-hmm. I went to the purple Discord. I was talking shit. I was like, "What's up?" Like, I'll I'll take your money. I finally got one person, uh, Darkodius from the purple Discord, mm-hmm. who has been kind of bullied by the entire Dromai community to be their champion. So we're gonna stream that and kind of make a video on that. And I think we're gonna play Thursday night. But anyways, I I think <laughs> that's a long long way away. I think Dromai is is a good deck. I think it's a balanced uh, illusionist hero, which uh. I, I think will appropriate itself at some point in the metagame. I think it has some errors and some flaws right now. Like it has a terrible Briar matchup. It has a terrible Guardian matchup. But I like its matchups otherwise. And it does really cool things. Um, but it's hard to balance, right? In, in Flesh and Blood, permanents are this concept that is kind of foreign. And you really have to be careful because if they're slightly too good, like we saw with Prism, where they rob you of your action point, they can really snowball into a kind of degenerate and unfun playing pattern. But I think Droma is just right. I think from a design standpoint, it's a really cool hero, and I think it does exactly what it needs to do in the metagame. Do I think it's the best deck with no bad matchups like the Purple Discord things? No, it, it definitely has some real fundamental flaws. Is, uh, it's so par for the course with like these kind of roleplay esque archetypical decks where it's like, okay, Droma is good, but it has you know it has a bad matchup against like aggro or something, and they're like, no, aggro is a buy. And you're like, okay, Droma is good, but it has a bad matchup against control. It's like, no, control is a buy, and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> no, everything is a buy. Well, I think that's the Kanecopium too. It's like yeah, every uh, every matchup is a buy. <laughs> you know what's a funny story? I'm gonna I'm gonna digress here, but like, uh, I think it was at Worlds. Yeah, it was at Worlds where I was watching uh, Hayden play Kano. And it was a cycle to the point that my friend group now makes fun of me because every time I watch Hayden or yourself play Kano, I talk to you guys. And I don't know if you remember this discussion, Hayden, but you were like, tell me different lines and combos at Worlds. You're like, okay, do this, this. I'm saying, I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. That sounds really good. That sounds really good. And then without fail, I come home from these events and I jump on Talishar and I, I like play Kano, play Kano nonstop. And I'm like, okay, the math doesn't check out. The math doesn't check. Like, it, it just doesn't work for me. I'm like, I run into a thing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's. What I thought before was right. And then I just know the next time I go to an event and I see Haydendale playing Kano, I'm going to be like, yeah, 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 hey, yeah. Tell me about that, that combo. Again. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right back into it. I could be wasting another we two had, weeks playing Kano. We had this discussion at dinner, actually, after Worlds. You were like, Kano just makes no sense. Like, Voltic Bolt, you're like two for five. Like, it's just, it's terrible math. I was like, dude, what do you mean? Like, the combo's 32 damage. You're like, what do you mean the combo's 32 damage? <laughs> when you say that, I was like, oh, that's that's a good point. 32 is a lot of damage. <laughs> yeah, but when you <laughs> go home again, then I'm like, all right, never mind. I'm off this deck again. So, you I know, don't know. When your opponent starts at 10 life, though, Vaulted Bolt is half their life. So, yeah, true, you know. True. <laughs> so it's just a matter of perspective, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well... Let's go talk about what the hell these Italians are doing. So Battleheart in Bologna, and you can tell me if I said that wrong. We had about a five-minute debate on how to say that freaking name. Um, the top eight, let's just go into that. This is top eight. Two Icelander, one Oldham, one Bravo, one Jermai, one Viserite, <clears throat> one Lexi. What? One Fi. What the hell are they doing over there in Europe? And uh, by the way, Bravo won that tournament. Any takeaways from this diverse top eight metagame off the back of Indianapolis, which looked to be quite a bit more homogenized? Uh, do you think that this is sort of the gold standard? Have they have they evolved the metagame? Is the metagame actually this open? Uh, I mean, Europeans are built different. We know that. Um, 
the Oldham part of it actually makes sense to me. Like, this is what I actually thought Oldham would kind of be going into the event. Because one, the fatigue Oldham also has to convince people, like, when they've deterministically won, even though they haven't won the game, they have to get a concession at some point. And it's hard. Um, I saw a number of concessions at Indianapolis uh, that probably should have just gone to draws. So maybe that wasn't happening in Europe. I, I'm not sure. I'm not privy to it. Uh, maybe the old ones were just running into Briars. You know, Briar was one of the most prevalent decks there. Um, I don't know. But the, the conversion rate of Oldham is more in line to kind of what I expected going into the calling Indianapolis. My my explanation there is the Europeans were probably just way more prepared than the North Americans were. That's my opinion, but we'll see going forward. Uh, to me, the biggest surprise of this topic was no Briars. Mm-hmm. You know, given the diversity of this metagame, like the Oldham, the Bravo, the, the Dromai, the Viscera, the Lex, blah, blah, blah. Briar crushes all these decks right it's only true bad matchup is icelander and a flip versus lexi so that to me was the biggest surprising part that that briar was one of the most prevalent decks uh at 13 percent of the metagame and didn't convert at all into the top eight i'm wondering what happened there and icelander i'm not surprised i think it's a top tier hero like like briar so i'm not yeah. surprised to see that it put two into top eight briar is actually tied for the for the number one deck with icelander at 13 percent um we also did and see dash. dash at 13 yeah and dash at 13 percent, which didn't convert dash also had a very bad conversion in indianapolis as well um but i mean honestly this top eight looks it it's it's even though it's diverse it's not very surprising i think the only deck that particularly surprises me in there is viscerai which i still think is like it's a good deck it's just it doesn't feel like a great deck like lexi running hot in terms of a matchup spread can be an incredible deck right running into fives and briars um up until it hits top eight and then we just had like a jermai um and sneak up in there and bravo i guess as well <laughs> per my per my per my philosophy that should be surprising but it, it really isn't i think bravo is actually quite good and to the aggro decks i just i differ with you on the opinion that if i'm on the other matchups i would i find myself often wanting to be the old him and i think that old him has a similar spread against some of those aggro decks as well but i mean it it bodes well for a healthy metagame maybe leading into the pro tour what do you think i i think one thing you want to look at though as well is that you talk about lixie like lixie when i looked at the bologna breakdown when they posted i was like wow like if you're playing lixie in this in this meta you're in a really good spot i was actually thought mm-hmm. we might get more than one lixie in that top eight because 12% of the field was Guardian. Like, Ultim was only 7% played in, in Bologna, and Bravo was like 5 or 6% played. And then Dromai was, you know, reasonable representation, fourth most played deck, but only 11% in the meta. The rest of the matchups is Lexi. Like, I'm, I'm good to play into Briars, Dashes, Icelanders. Like, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not that worried about like, Fires. So I think it's quite, it was, it, Bologna felt like an evolution to me of what happened, although it looks maybe less so, like of what happened at the calling the week before in Indianapolis. Because people started to pick up a little bit more of, you know, Icelander, for instance. Like, Icelander was number one played deck, whereas in the week before in Indianapolis, it wasn't. Like, people, I think, were responding to the information that it had at hand. And that diversified it a bit more interestingly, I think. Although I would have expected to see more Ultim than we did, which which we didn't. But, yeah, I, I think Bologna is quite an interesting event, actually. And I think you got to remember as well, it's a battle hardened, which is a little bit different to a calling, I think. Mm-hmm. People are more willing to travel to a calling. And because they're traveling, want to play, I think better decks play the best decks and give themselves the most chance and i think you do start to see like the higher level of an event i think the more uh the more you see divergence of a of a, of a metagame as opposed sorry convergence of a metagame as opposed to divergence maybe a smaller event where people are playing decks they want to play i think it's particularly interesting that only 6.8 percent of people showed up on old him off the back of a very recent five old hymns in top eight of a major tournament it's either like players over there um 
you know, were ahead of it and felt like they understood something about the meta that the players in Indianapolis didn't, or they potentially weren't playing the deck in lieu of the ban. Um, but 6.8% after five in the top eight is, is very, very low. Same as Ryan. I'm just going to chalk it up to Europeans being intelligent. Because like I said, I love Oldham. I won nationals on Oldham. They probably came to the same conclusion I did that this deck cannot be Briar. If we think Briar is going to be one of the most prevalent decks, why in the hell are we playing Oldham? I don't know. I just I'm going to chalk that up to Europeans just being more intelligent than we are. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, Europe in general is much has well at least as we led up into worlds, they were playing Briar when the U.S. just like almost wasn't like our entire battle hardened circuit was just like void of Briar. And lo and behold, you go to the world, fast forward to the World Championships, it showed up in force and made it to top eight. So yeah, I mean, I think that the <laughs> I think in terms of general metagame knowledge, Europe tends to be ahead of the United States. It seems like after the back of these world championships and pro tours. Can we can we talk a little bit about Dash? Because Dash was, as you say, equal first played in Bologna and uh I believe it was like the fourth most played deck and yeah, it was like almost the same as Fi. It was more than Bravo and in Indianapolis and not a shred of a top eight between the two events for Dash and pretty poor conversion to day two in uh in Indianapolis. I think it had like Slightly better conversion than Reinhardt, but worse conversion than Kano and Bolton. So, Tarek, what's your kind of take on Dash? I know your teammate at the event, Matt Rogers, played Dash. Did you, you guys think it was in a good position? Do people, do you think, just showed up with the wrong type of Dash? Dash is probably the hardest archetype to fully understand with just a general principle. Because there's four ways to build Dash, right? We have the what uh, Jacob Bollock's called the Tree Frog Dash, the full defense reaction uh dash type deck you Sweet have names dude ointment tree frog like what the hell yeah i, I didn't know i had your control decks i had to get him to explain it to me i'm like why is it called tree frog he's like you know springboard and and frogs hop so it's it's a tree frog and i'm like <laughs> whatever it's you played the deck to fame i'm gonna call it whatever you want so you have the full d react dash deck then you have the mid-range traditional dash deck right you play pistol chamber into whatever you play defense reacts items into guardians then you have you know the the deck that i was testing leading up to the calling which was hayden's uh i like to call it habibi blaster but what is it was it actually called hanabi blaster yeah habibi blaster sounds better you know <laughs> culturally um but yeah you have hanabi blaster and i think that that is like a super interesting take on dash that i think is really really underexplored um and it fixes a lot of the weird deck building issues where dash had to be previously bipolar and you know, boost into one type of matchup, defend into another. Um, so uh, to me, this dash kind of stuff really comes down to, I don't think we found what the most optimal build yet. And I think Hayden's really close in his video. I've probably watched the video like three or four times myself uh, leading up to the calling. And I think you know there's going to be a nice kind of mid-range build and and i will say we didn't get there for the calling you know i gave up on it uh several days in in advance matt obviously being dash guy uh continued working on the deck but even he didn't come to a list that he thought was 100 percent optimal and we actually switched plans you know halfway through the event you know he switches briar matchup plan uh halfway through the event he switches ice liner plan i believe as well so I think things are still being worked on and figured out, even by the best Dash players in the world. And that's kind of why we're seeing uh, these poor conversions. But I think once they figure it out, we're going to see Hayden Dale come out with another Dash video. But like, guys, I, I, I <laughs> get it. And it's just going to be him calling Auckland champion or something. I don't see know. You there. We'll see you <laughs> then. 
All right. Well, let's let's talk about the future and like what what this metagame looks like for for the Pro Tour. But um, first, retrospective. Do you think that the bands were were good in you know post these events? Do you think that the the bands did what they were intended to do? And do you think that the the game is in a healthier spot as a result? Yeah. So the, I think there's another bandit system ended in a week, and it's going to be interesting. Uh, I think they targeted what was supposed to be targeted. Now, there's a lot of questions in. Uh, and a lot of discussion, even among LSS in their BNR announcement, they kind of alluded to they really don't want to ban legendaries. Um, but there's going to be a fundamental question now where it's like, how many of these cards can you ban when the actual problem may actually be the legendaries themselves, right? Like, is Crown of Seeds really the oppressive card out of Oldham? Is it Storm Shriders that's the issue out of Icelander? Um, and you know, we'll see going forward. I, I think the olden bands were really good. I think the five bands were really good, maybe even a little bit too hard. Uh, I kind of like Belittle as a card design. I thought it was one of the most interesting cards in Flesh and Blood, so I'm really sad to, sad, sad to see that one go. Uh, I think Iceland is still top tier and may require an additional tweak in the future. We'll see what they do in a week. But the question comes down to, if they need to ban a legendary item, is that healthy for the game? How do they go about doing that? You know, if it was me, if I would maybe only suspend a legendary from a single class, just so you're not completely nuking it completely out of the game. But I don't know. What do you, what do you guys think about that? Um, I think they should always prioritize the health of the game over the economy of the secondary market or the collectability of the game. Like we talked about this in a recent pod because Marvel snap is going through the exact same thing with like a couple of busted season pass cards in the recent two months. And then they nerfed them actually a month after, which is a lot sooner than you would expect. It's fast, right? You know, people are going to complain. Um, I think people would complain in Flesh and Blood too, but if it is what's necessary to make the game healthy, uh, I think that it's 100% their correct decision too. They showed they're, they're not they're not 100% unwilling to do it because they went after Storm Shredders, um, although that wasn't a ban. They did flip that around pretty quickly, but I think that they're willing to do it, but they will exhaust other options before going that route, which I believe is what we've seen. Yeah, it's interesting. So we're facing another ban suspended announcement, like you say, Tarek. I think it's the, I just had a quick look, it's March 20th, so it's going to be just as outsiders drop. So we'll get Auckland, and then I think this is a time for them to reassess, right? Like, before Outsiders comes out, is there any additional changes needed? And it, from what I see, Outsiders doesn't seem like it's going to change the existing decks that much, right? Just given the nature of this the set and the the classes that are in it. But I think what because what I what I think Alexis want to happen, I think it's pretty clear at this point is they just want Briar to Living Legend, right? Like they really want Briar <laughs> to have Living Legend before Outsiders to have a bit more of a clean slate and then assess where the impacts of Icelander bands are the Alton bands are I think right now my kind of takeaway is similar to yours Alton I think has been hit pretty well Fi likewise Icelander I, I still think has been hit pretty well I think people I always have a fundamental problem with Icelander and the fact that you get to pack your deck full of of good powerful blues and and that's your you know that's what your deck does and so that mitigates a lot of things like variants etc because your deck's just full so there's there's a lot of things I have a problem with just Icelander in general but I think these two bands, particularly, um, of course, Hypothermia, but Annual Vice also being so strong at, at what it does, I think this will see them through into Outsiders at least. And then I think it's going to be a case of, okay, based on what they know about the set and the decks and the, the metagame they expect within it, is there any additional tweaks that need to be made? And I think that's what we'll, what we'll see sort of come out of it. 
I think that they'll do nothing. Um, if you looked at the data, I think that I think they're going to go off the data um, because there's not there's not much to pull, pull else to pull from other than player sentiment. And I think that they'll especially look at the battle hardened um, and probably check this up to be a healthy spot for the game. I think that Icelander, you know, it is still powerful, but it's not nearly what it was before. Um, old him, although it performed well at Indianapolis, I I would think that deck would suffer a bit more like five old to the top eight is something i would have expected a lot more when winter's whale was still a thing um so i think that decks can adapt and i do think that this band suspended announcement is more likely to bring no changes rather than any changes at all yeah if i agree with that if icelander shits on all the new heroes and now outsiders though in its current state of form then i think they would look to do something right like i i think that's what they're gonna look at rather than you say the current format i think the current format is a little bit irrelevant they wanted to make it healthy for Indianapolis and Auckland and, and see out this format in a healthy manner and have Briar mm-hmm. Living Legend and then come into Outsiders. And I think so that I think there could be some revision, but it would only be it would be forward focused on, on the next format. It wouldn't be much to do with the current format. I actually think you're right in the sense I think it's uh <laughs> I do think it's very important uh for them that Outsiders actually has an impact on class constructed because a dynasty had less so or maybe more of a delayed impact and yeah Icelander the power level of Icelander and what used to be old him was very prohibitive to a new set of heroes actually making an impact on flesh and blood because they were just they felt so far above the others right it was just I felt like you had to be you had to be the the com- you had to be so compelled to play something that wasn't Fi, Oldham, or Iceland pre-ban. And it's different now, but not too different. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. It's going to be in the context of Outsiders, and they, they do want those heroes to be playable at the highest level. I will say, sorry, real quick. I will say the only thing I want to have happen on the next BNR is the Horn Suspended. I think that card only exists in the most degenerate gameplay patterns of Flesh and Blood. And I don't know if it's necessarily healthy for it. That also it's a pretty yeah. reasonable take to be honest i think it's i think i was going to just kind of add on is when you're talking with brendan about those heroes and why would you play anything else in those kind of sets is we also you know alice is doing a bit of a a realignment post monarch and tales of aria and the power level of those yep. formats so from monarch we have come down in power level progressively and even even uprising was somewhat you know a, a degress down in dynasty as well I expect that once we sort of level out a bit, you know, Briar leaves. I think that's a big milestone for them. Ultim is probably the, the next one uh, or Crown of Seeds, whatever way you look at it. I think that allows space for a set like Dynasty to become more important as we go through. I think, like you say right now, it's, you know, the delay might be even longer than, than you might anticipate for Dynasty's impact on Class Constructed. Yeah, it does feel like some of those top decks would just boil down to do number better like they were just like just fundamentally like they were just getting more value on turn by turn basis uh Tarek, i got one last question for you or, or one of a few last questions is do you think Icelander is the best deck right now yeah I, I think it's one of the top two decks i think uh in a vacuum if you were to pick a deck into a blind metagame you should either be taking briar or icelander Okay. Do you uh, what do you think of like dark horses that could creep up? Obviously, outsiders is going to bring tons of new stuff. But if you were just looking at the the current metagame, anything that we didn't talk about that you think that is uh, actually good? Like, is the Lumina go Bumina? Is that real? What about Kano? Like anything else? The uh, what? The Alibia. Lumina go Bumina. You play multiple Luminas, and you know it go. <coughs> oh, bolted. Bumina. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I can tell you're uncultured here. This is <laughs> a hero that doesn't exist. So what, al- yeah. 
So you know what's funny? What a lot of people don't know about me, and we were talking about this after the calling uh, Indianapolis, was that I am like a huge ranger simp, um, and I love Azalea. And I think Azalea is like super close to being extremely good. Uh, I'm I'm not even memeing like when I say this. Like when I tell you that I think her aggro matchups are very close to unlosable, and the fact that she has very consistent dominate means that her guardian matchups are very close to winnable. I could see because you asked about dark horses, I could see Azalea being the next big thing after this set. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I still think Kano is pretty good. And, uh, <laughs> I, I do. I'm not going back down this rabbit hole. Like, I, mean, I mean, what you guys can all talk shit about Kano, but then Hayden's going to maybe show up to the PT or Wells on Kano again. We're going to be like, mm, here we go again. Um, I mean, the deck is good. The deck is good. Uh, I mean, Ara- hopefully Arachne goes somewhere. Levia also 0% conversion. We didn't talk about that, but you know. <laughs> Part for the course. I, I, I agree with Ranger though. Like I, I think, like I said about Bologna, like Lexi was a great pick into that field. I think, and you know, Lexi has the the Amulet of Ice Span actually hit Lexi quite a bit. But like Lexi has quite a lot of tools, and like the fuseless sort of style of Ice Lexi that is quite aggressive. Like it's good into Icelander, for instance. You know, your your matchup spread. You know, if you're expecting lower Guardians, I think you you can be pretty happy with that. And like you say. Bravo, for instance, I don't even think is that particularly a bad matchup for for Lexi and those kind of builds um, as it stands, actually. So especially with the current builds that, that people are rolling out. So yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one. But what we can narrow it down to, Tarek probably is just more more Tarek Patel psyops. That's what I'm hearing. That's uh, you know that's what that's what Twitter <laughs> tells me. So <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, yeah, you know what's funny is like Lexi was so close to top eighting uh, uh, the calling in, in Indianapolis. I think Chris. Losses winning in, uh, in like the closest possible possible way to an Oldham, arguably their worst matchup, uh, and it, it came down to like only a couple points of life. And you know, I think Chris had a couple spots to maybe navigate that those couple points, and I think he got a little bit unlucky in a couple spots. But we could have easily had a Lexi in that top eight too. So I think Lexi's a very real deck, and people are sleeping on Ranger a little bit now. Whether that's psyops or not, I'll, I'll let your viewers decide. You know, I don't know, but we'll see. We'll see. Well, yeah, I think we should unban drone too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought we were just saying, you know, crazy stuff. Sorry. <laughs> well, when I show up to to Auckland with Lexi, Brendan, you know, probably not unlikely. Lexi. Just, just <laughs> so you know, unlikely. All right, Tarek, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you? What are you up to these days in terms of content? Uh, tell us a little about Team Dragon Shield, the whole shebang. Yeah, so same old places. I'm on Twitter, Tark Patel 10. Uh, I still write articles when I kind of feel like it uh, at Channel Fireball. Um, I'm going to do kind of my four decks to choose for the Calling Auckland in the upcoming week. And then I'm going to hope to post a cyborg guide for Briar leading into uh, <laughs> the Calling Auckland. So uh, stay tuned for that. And I might actually try streaming uh, this week. So after my four decks uh, article gets posted, I might take a couple of them to uh, play on Talishard to prove that it's not PSYOPs and those decks are actually very real into an open metagame. I mean, the fact you have to prove that is absolutely bullshit. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Off you, Fab Twitter. All right. Well, thanks again, Tarek. I can't wait to see you at Pro Tour Baltimore. But until next time, man. Yeah, good luck. Episode 97 of Arsenal Pass in the books. Big thanks to Tarek Patel for joining us on the pod this week. Uh, meta game looking very interesting as we close out this dynasty meta heading towards outsiders not far from previous season i'm sure once we come back next week with i know team covenant i think have a like an early preview that's dropping today or 
yesterday when this pod dropped, so we'll have that information. Uh, there's going to be a lot of Outsiders talk as we head to episode 100 and the release of Outsiders. And of course, you know, I, actually, it's going to time out well uh, with our episode like 100-ish that we'll have probably our Outsiders uh, preview, uh, review show as well. So uh, looking forward to that. But anyway, Brendan, uh, if you want to find him on Twitter, actually, you can find him at BrendanAPG. You can find me at Thien underscore Dale. And as I was about to say, until next week, we'll see you in the next episode. Mm-hmm. And don't forget to French kiss that subscribe button, hit like, and just a YouTube comment of what the heck a cyclone is. Mm-hmm.